Well, good morning. I want to welcome all of you, especially those of you who are visiting with us this morning. The prize for having traveled the most distance to join us this morning are Rhonda and Greg McInnes, who are here from Canada. <laughs> You'll be sure and welcome this morning. Turn, if you would, to Hebrews chapter number 11. Hebrews chapter 11, and we're going to begin reading in a few moments in verse number 32. What is faith? And does faith ever fail? Man is a strange creature. The human heart and mind are hard to understand. Tell a man that there are 361,678,934,341 stars in this universe and he will believe you. But you put a sign out that says wet, wet paint, what does he do? Tell a man that the earth was originally populated by superior beings from outer space or that man evolved from a single cell organism out of a primordial swamp and he will believe you. But tell him that you are created by an all-powerful God and he will tell you that you are the nut. Hebrews chapter 11 verse number 1 defines faith as the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Now in the rest of Hebrews chapter 11, we're going to see that the writer gives us insight into what it means to live by faith. Over the last few decades in our country, we've become accustomed to hearing the concept that true faith is always evidenced by tangible success. Proponents of what has come to be known as the health and wealth gospel have built television empires that sell their ideas that unless you are healthy and wealthy, you are not living up to your potential. Anything less than tangible success. And that is defined as what leads to your comfort and prosperity in life is shamed as defective faith. So any failures or illnesses or tragedies are ruled to be outside of the will of God and beneath the dignity of the Christian. Is that what the Bible really teaches about faith? No. In fact, to believe the, the false gospel about faith is to ignore the principle that there are differences between spiritual success and material success. There is a difference between being deemed a success by the world and being deemed a success by God. In chapter 11 in verses 23 through 29, we looked at Moses, the man of faith, and we noted how this man, who is considered by the Jews to be the greatest of all the Old Testament characters, live by faith. Today, the author of Hebrews gives his summary to his great Heroes of the Faith Hall of Fame. He gives us three great principles about faith. This passage is extremely important for blowing the fog of confusion away from what faith is and what faith guarantees. 
Faith can operate in the life of any person who will dare to listen to God's word and surrender to God's will. As we read the text today, you will notice that throughout it you will see the phrase, through faith or by faith. It occurs literally over and over, but it means by means of faith. And as we'll note, this faith is much more than just mental agreement. It is a working force in an individual's life. Yes, I said there are three principles. And you look at your outline and you say, I see two. Well, you have one more to add. That's what happens when you print out your outline before you're finished. Verse number one, the existing or exciting victories of faith. In verse 32, it is if the writer realizes that time constraints will not allow him to continue a detailed account of the heroic exploits of faith. He says, and what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah, also of David and Samuel among the prophets. He has now confined himself to six additional figures whose life spans from the time of the judges through the monarchy and ends with the inclusion of the prophets. These men who are mentioned are mentioned to be su suggestive of a list of men and women throughout the history of man who have lived for God in a hostile world. Gideon, the first listed, is a powerful example of faith in that he and 300 men, select men, routed the Midian army with torches and empty jugs. Barak was, the, was when the judges ruled Israel. He was a military leader who, along with Deborah, led Israel to defeat Sisera and the Canaanites. Samson is usually remembered for his great strength, not his faith. Yet in spite of his weakness, he was a great champion of Israel during the period of Philistine oppression. Jephthah, often remembered for his foolish vow, placed his faith in God and relied on his power to overcome the Ammonites. David, a man who could and did make tragic mistakes, was first and foremost a man of faith. David is called a man after God's own heart because of his faith and his desire to do the will of God. Leon Morris points out that each of these men named here have defects in their faith. Defects. Gideon was slow to take up arms. Barak hesitated and went only forward when Deborah encouraged him. Samson was enticed by Deliah, Deliah, Deliah and Jephthah made a foolish vow and stubbornly kept it. Although their faith was less than perfect, it did not keep them from being used by God. And then the writer named Samuel. He was first of the prophet and the last of the judges. He started as a young boy and continued all the way through his life serving God. 
And the last to be mentioned in this list are the prophets who remained unnamed except for Samuel. All served God cheerfully, courageously, and confidently who accepted God's commands and faced whatever opposition came along. In verse 33, he, de he details some of what they've been able to do through faith, who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouth of lions, quenched the violence of the fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, turned to flight the enemies of aliens, and women received their dead, raised to life again. The accomplishments sound like the stuff of childhood fantasies, slaying dragons, banishing evil, overcoming insurmountable odds, rescuing the damnable in distress, laughing in the fate of death escaping just in the nick of time and making it all look incredibly easy. First, we see their rather broad overview of the results of these believers' faith. They saw political victory. That is, they, through faith, subdued kingdoms. They achieved moral success. Some translations have this as where it says worked righteousness, say, administered justice. And they achieved spiritual reward in that they obtained promises. That is, they received the word of promise from God. But secondly, these believers saw various forms of personal deliverance. Those who stopped the mouths of lions seemed to be an obvious reference to Daniel, who was thrown into the lion's den and left overnight, but emerged unscathed. It was Daniel's friend, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who quenched the violence of the flames when they were th thrown into the fiery furnace for their refusal to worship a false image. Many of the prophets, including Elisha, Elijah, and Jeremiah, escaped the edge of the sword. Stories such as Daniel's defeat of Goliath with his sling and Gideon's victory over the Midianites demonstrated what we find in verse 34, out of weakness were made strong. The Old Testament contains many examples of groups who became valiant in battle and turned to flight the armies of the aliens. And at least two women received their dead raised to life, the widow of Zarephath and the Sinamite woman. Both had sons who were raised to life again. But if the account of faith were to stop here, it would leave us with the dangerous false impression that faith always keeps us from suffering in this world. This is the kind of thing we often hear in our day, which is if we just have enough faith, we will never be sick or poor, or troubled. But if faith of God's people could boast of spectacular achievements in the form of military victories and miraculous deliveries and raising of dead to life, it is no less inspiring than the willing endurance by others 
of horrible torture and cruel death. From the exciting victories of the faith, we move to the enduring virtues of faith. The description of the accomplishments wrought through faith assumes a decidedly different tone, beginning with the word others in the second half of verse 35. It says others were, tur were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. Still others had trials of mockings and scourgings and yes, of chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn asunder, they were tempted, were slain with a sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth. The transition that we see here is important. Not all men and women of faith experienced miraculous deliverance. Some of them were tortured and died. Having true faith in God is no guarantee of comfort and security in life. God does not always work miracles to deliver his people by faith. Sometimes, by faith, God sustains his people through suffering. Since the Greek word for tortured literally means to beat as a drum, some commentators believe that this refers to Eleazar, who was stretched on a drum and beaten to death. Others were not only physically tortured, but they had to endure the mocking of those who hated them. In verse, if verses 34 and 35 sound like a dream, then what we see in the last part of verse 35 and through verse 38 sounds like a nightmare. Many of us can identify more with the last part of the text than we can with the first part. We don't seem to be conquering any kingdoms. Rather, evil seems to have found its way with us the lions are devouring us. The fires are consuming us. Swords are cutting us to pieces. What distinguishes the people in the first half from the people in the last half? In some cases, nothing. In some cases, the same people are listed in both halves of the text. They saw wonderful victories, and at other times, they endured seeming defeat. The people in both parts are characterized by faith. For the writer says in verse 39, and all those had faith. These others had faith, but God did not see fit to deal with them in the same way that he dealt with those who experienced victories. This unknown men and women of faith who were not delivered from difficult circumstances and yet God honored their faith. In fact, it takes more faith to endure than it does to accept escape. These believers are like the three Hebrew young men of Daniel chapter 3 
who were threatened by the death of fire, who, but exclaimed, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. The King James Version translates the phrase, we are not careful to answer. They said in verse 17, if this is the case, our God, who is able to deliver us from the fire, burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us from your hand, O God, but if not, and those are the three most important words in the whole text there. But if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. One cannot help but think of the contrast these verses draw between what is taught by the health and wealth philosophy of our day. That philosophy says... God wants all of us to be healthy and wealthy. By the way, we only see that in the United States. You don't see that in third world countries where, we know, where they know that's not the case. According to this view, the only reason for you not experiencing that is because you do not claim it in faith. While in the portion of the chapter emphasizing the exciting victories of faith, it was mentioned that some of them escape the edge of the sword. Yet in verse 37, it states that one of the hardships of faith was some of them were slain by the sword. Elijah escaped the vengeance of Jezebel. Other prophets of the same period were slain. Jeremiah's life was delivered from Jehoiakim, the king. But his fellow prophet Uriah was slain by the sword and his body cast to a common grave. By faith one lived and by faith another died. Faith did not always deliver believers out of suffering. Sometimes it delivered them through suffering. In the time of Herod Agrippa, the king killed James with the sword, but Peter escaped. Although the world held these men and women of faith in low esteem, they were not so in the estimation of God. God said of them, of whom the world is not worthy. It is said that they did not accept deliverance, they, that they might obtain a better resurrection. How can the death of a martyr be a better resurrection? Better than what? Well, the answer is in remembering the previous context of the first part of verse 35. The women received their dead raised to life again. I mentioned the widow of Zarephath and the Shunammite woman. Both saw their men, their sons, restored to life by Elijah and Elisha. But in due course, both of them died again. The resurrection that the martyrs aspired to was the resurrection to eternal life. This better resurrection is the hope of all who die in Christ. The apostle Paul wrote, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout and with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ shall rise first. 
Verse 39 reminds the reader, and all these, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise. The verse begins with all these. That is the succession of all the men and women of faith, both named and unnamed, they provided a good testimony. A testimony that their faith, rather than being extinguished by testing and hardship and oppression, prevailed. Prevailed. These believers died without having received the promise. In spite of their empty-handedness, they persevered in faith, knowing that faith's reward is not always given here. The final outcome on earth is not the measure of victory in the race. Not everyone's faith is rewarded in this lifetime. God's heroes are not always recognized while they're alive. John Piper says the common feature of faith that escapes suffering and the faith that endures suffering is this. Both of them involve believing that God himself is better than what life can give you now and is better than what death can take from you later. When you have it all, faith says that God is better. And when you lose it all, faith says that God is better. What does faith believe in the moment of torture? That if God loved me, he would get me out of this? No. Faith believes there is a kind of resurrection for the believer which is better than the miracle of escape. It's better than the kind of resurrection experienced by the widow's son who returned to life and yet died again later. A modern example of one who had this kind of faith was a man named Diedrich Bonhoeffer. He left his prestigious position as a professor at the University of Berlin to join the ranks of those who stood against Hitler and the Nazis. The professor of systematic theology at the university where Bonhoeffer had taught said that Bonhoeffer was foolish. He said it is a great pity that our best hope in the faculty is being wasted on the church's struggle. God chose for Bonhoeffer's route to be that of the second half of Hebrews chapter 11. He was arrested and he was in prison. He was eventually hung in the Flossenburg concentration camp. His body was tossed aside in a pile of corpses and burned. His death came only two days before the Americans liberated the Fossenberg camp. As he faced the fury of the Third Reich, Bonhoeffer said, the ultimate responsible question is how can I, heroic, how can I heroically make a bad situation better? He says that's not the question. The question is how can I enable the coming generation to live from the enduring virtues of faith we move last and this is the one you'll need to add if you wanted to the eternal vindication of faith in verse 40 
as the author brings to a conclusion his list of heroes of the faith. He says, God having provided something better for us, that they should not be made perfect apart from us. Let me read that again. He said, and they should not be made perfect apart from us. Do you catch what he's saying? He's saying that this story, God's great story of faith, is not complete without you. We're a part of God's story of faith. God's looking down through the ages, saw the lives who would be a part of his great story of faith. What a privilege to be a part of that great story of faith. The testimony of these witnesses is that all believers can finish the race. All believers can live by faith. And that through faith, all believers can accomplish great things for God. John Calvin wrote, A tiny spark led them on to heaven. But now the sun of righteousness shines on us. What excuse shall we offer if we cling to this world? Let me conclude just making these three observations. A life of faith is not reserved for a few elite saints. A life of faith is not confined to the super faithful. The life of faith is possible for all of us. Secondly, a life of faith is possible to all kinds of believers in all kinds of situations. If you're experiencing trouble or difficulty in your life, that does not mean that you are not being faithful, that you do not have faith. And finally, a life of faith is possible to all of God's children. Let's pray. Father, we recognize that it's a great privilege for us to be a part of the stories of faith. Our story is still being written by every decision we make in life. It's a great encouragement to us to look at these great men and women of faith and discover that they are not without fault. That they were just men and women with the same kinds of problems that we have, the same kind of weaknesses that we have. That a life of faith does not mean that we have to be perfect. It just means that we have to be willing to listen to your voice and surrender to your will. Father, it may be possible that someone here this morning that doesn't know you in an intimate way have never in repentance turned to you and asked for forgiveness. Help them to understand that that can be accomplished right here, right now. And that the story of faith is waiting to be written into their lives as well, that they'll be a part of the story. For those of us who are saved, we know we've made that decision in the past, but sometimes we allowed the world to knock us down, to make us believe that we have nothing to offer to God. Yes, we do. With your strength, 
and your forgiveness, we can move on. Father, we just ask that you speak to our hearts and lives. And this time, get ahead. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with me, please? We're going to have a hymn of invitation. <laughs>